You're listening to 50 Plus a Tip, the show for strippers, ethical sluts, and other open-minded hoes. Okay, guys, I know that quarantine has some downfalls, but it kind of has some positives too. And one of those is that my skin routine is killing it right now. And a huge help with that has been Truly Lifestyle Brand. Truly Lifestyle Brand is an all-natural, cruelty-free skincare company that allows your skin to become its absolute best self. Their before and after photos are insane and totally speak for themselves, so you really have to go check those out. They also just launched a new vitamin C serum that is basically like bottle of youth. Use my code TRULYPLUSATIP for 10% off your first online order. Hey guys, welcome back. It's Danny, and today I am joined by Gemma May, a strip club veteran, out and proud sex worker, and advocate for the sex worker community. She's also the founder of the Virtual Strip Club, the world's first virtual strip club for and by sex workers. Welcome, Gemma. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being here. So in your own words, who are you? Okay, um, so my name is Gemma May. I'm a seasoned uh, sex worker, kind of sex worker of all trades. I've worked in, I would say, not every aspect of the industry, but um, kind of at least dabbled in most areas of the industry, Um, both in-person and online sex work and like fetish work and all that. So when all this coronavirus stuff happened, uh, my in-person sex work was severely affected. And so I started working online and I wanted to kind of, I saw a lot of other sex workers struggling to make money and a lot of in-person sex workers struggling to cope with being online and and promoting and, and building a following and all this stuff and trying to do it in a hurry while the world is on fire. And, uh, So I started the Virtual Strip Club to kind of create a place for strippers to perform and get paid and also to promote them and kind of ease that transition into the online sex world, online sex work world. Awesome. So when did your life as a sex worker start and what inspired you to continue? Yeah. Um, So I started doing sex work. I think I didn't, I certainly didn't identify as a sex worker until many years, like into the industry, but really I started doing sex work when I started doing nude modeling when I was, I was actually 17. I lied and said I was 18. Um, and they didn't check. (laughs) And, uh, so I started doing that when I was 17 and then, um, yeah, I've always liked it. I, it just always kind of made me feel, there's certainly like a, a self-esteem kind of boost when you're being you know, paid because someone thinks you're hot, right? (laughs) So I was like, I can't lie about that. Um, Especially being like, you know, typical, like kind of insecure girl, you know? Um, And yeah, it started then. And then what encouraged me to continue, I kind of jumped in and out of the industry for most of my early 20s between like that and working other vanilla jobs and then also like working in the nightlife industry, but like bartending and bottle service and all that type of stuff. Um... And I think, I mean, the money's always been better in the sex work industry. That's for sure. And I come from a very, like, working class background, so that's important to mm-hmm. note. Uh, and then I think really what's kept me in the industry and kind of created the passion that I have for sex workers and for sex work now is just the community 
and how underserved our community is. And, um, yeah, and, like, how much good can be done by people who are within the community working to make better lives for sex workers. So Definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, how did the idea of the virtual strip club come to you? I know you had mentioned, you know, seeing the shift that, you know, happened with the way the world is right now and the whole corona and everything and, and uh, sex workers having to kind of pivot and adapt. Um, but how did you think of like, okay, let's make this a virtual strip club. Let's do this online. Yeah. Um, so I actually, I saw a lot of, I have, I'm queer and I, you know, go to a lot of drag shows. I have a lot of friends that are within like the queer performance community. And I saw a lot of, oh, and I also do circus and I saw a lot of, um, circus performers and performance companies, um, and, uh, drag performers doing like Instagram lives and doing other things live online, um, doing shows. And I was like, well, why can't we do this? You know? And then like, you know, of course there's all the kind of, um, discrimination against sex workers online. So it's like, can't necessarily do it on Instagram live. So then that kind of just spurred the looking for other platforms to do it on. Um, but mainly it was influenced by that. And then I kind of Googled it a little bit and saw that, Uh, Magic City Atlanta was already kind of doing something like that and then uh, who else was the other person I found like kind of more established clubs oh it was Die Happy Tonight New York Um, they were I guess they had been doing something similar for quite a while before coronavirus and then I don't know where they're at now but then I know they like kind of changed it to be more expansive during coronavirus and then actually just last week I found out that um, P. Diddy's son has a (laughs) strong I guess um just kind of funny so I guess they were kind of uh Magic City ATL and uh Die Happy Tonight New York were already kind of doing it before we started it um and then I think Pity Diddy's son and then like all these other virtual strip clubs a bunch of other popping up um they've kind of popped up around the same time or slightly afterwards like when we started doing it Mm -hmm. so yeah, so it was just like, yeah, why not? Why not us? You know, if all these mm-hmm. other people are performing online, like we can too. We'd have to find a platform that we can do it on. So, mm-hmm. also, I quickly have to apologize. These goddamn birds. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear them. Um, it, it's like I have a skylight in my loft, and I don't know if they like have seen me making my OnlyFans content or something. But these fucking birds like linger around now and just like perv out. So you can hear them, like, squawking. So I apologize. I love no, that's okay. I know. It's kind of weird. It's, like, no matter what type of online, like, virtual video event you're doing, even if it's just, like, a Zoom call with friends or whatever, it always becomes about, like, uh, your pet, like, show-and-tell time. <laughs> kind oh, of my like, gosh. I literally like, made my friend take my dog down uh, for like a walk right now because I was like he was so rambunctious so like nope not today Satan like this is not happening he needs to go for a walk <laughs> like, um, yeah I definitely feel like close I close my door I'm in my bedroom I close my door to my room so that my dog can't be in here and be crazy because she will be chill all day and then as soon as I hop on live or something like that she's like wants to lose it yeah like, like the amount of, amount of like porno shots I have with like a dog ear cropped in the corner I was like get the fuck out of my booty shot like <laughs> they need to see my vulva god damn it I think people love to see it it's very it's like very relatable real content 100% very um yeah. okay back to you <laughs> how does a virtual strip club actually work 
Okay. So our virtual strip club, um, so what we, we say, like we are the first virtual strip club co-op run, run for and by sex workers. Um, cause to my knowledge we are, there's, there's been other strip club co-ops like in real life. There's like the lusty lady in Seattle when that was open. And then I, I think there's one in England as well, or there was one in England. Um, but as far as like online, we are the first, which is pretty cool. It's cool to like be the first in something. Definitely. Um, and we work as a cooperative, so we don't have like house fees or anything like that. Um, and all the performers make an even like cut of profits. So we do have a 15% overhead because I've invested like quite a bit of money and kind of like creating things. So we're kind of like doing that right now until that's it, we're able to pay that off and then kind of going to reassess and figure out like what to do with that 15% or lower it or kind of use it to kind of just help grow the business. But other than that, all the performers make an even share like as in like in a cooperative, I mean like any cooperative you would need to pay for overhead. So Mm -hmm. So we have that. And then, yeah, all of the profits, everyone splits it. So that's also why like, you know, we work together. um, All the people that do administrative or like committee, we have like some committee members, anybody who does any like extra work for, the club um they're all entertainers in the club um yeah and uh it all kind of yeah gets every for every show it all just gets split evenly between this the the sex workers in the show and uh and then we promote everybody and we we during our shows we promote um all the entertainers cash apps or their paypals or whatever they like choose to promote as their like place to be tipped um we have a really great mc uh geez louise she's a really well-known burlesque entertainer like the premier burlesque entertainer in the world i think she won uh the what is it i want to fuck this up i want to say like burlesque world title or something like last year something big and important She's, yeah, she's won a lot of, like, American and international titles. Um, she's super funny. She's a comedian and just, like, just great. Like, and she's been a stripper and a sex worker for many years as well. And, um, yeah, she does her thing. And she, you know, during the entertainment, she encourages tipping to all the performers and everything. And then that works by people going directly to that performer's cash app or Venmo or PayPal or whatever, what have you. And uh, so they make all their own tips, but then like ticket sales is split evenly. Mm-hmm. And then for right now, we're using Zoom because that's actually been the biggest challenge is finding a platform that is really optimal for this. Mm-hmm. It, it's a new thing and uh, there's not a lot of platforms that are optimal for it. So it's kind of like, I think that the tech industry is kind of like scrambling to kind of keep up with the demand. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, yeah, because there's not, like, a ton of shows that were, like, live-streamed happening online before everyone was quarantined. Mm-hmm. And the so, ones that are, like, Twitch and that, is very adamant about you can't even, like, really wear lingerie. Like, they'll shut you down. Like, so I can only imagine trying to find mm-hmm. places where you can stream that is sex worker friendly because God knows most platforms are not sex worker friendly. Totally. <laughs> yeah, and then it kind of seems like... Um, we're still trying to figure out if we can make it work on Vimeo. Um, but yeah, places like Vimeo and OnlyFans has live streaming too, but, um, and they're like, you know, they're sex worker friendly as long as you, well, with Vimeo, you just have to put like a not safe for work kind of like disclaimer uh, wall or whatever. But, uh, 
Yeah, it's just been really hard because they, even those ones like multicasting with several like streams going on at the same time and like kind of clicking people into rooms and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's like a whole thing and it's very hard. And like, uh, unfortunately, like most of us uh, are not tech people. <laughs> I'm certainly not. So we've been kind of, yeah, that's been the biggest struggle is trying to figure that out. So, and then how and then does, also we've gotten we've gotten like kicked off a couple platforms already. <laughs> uh, I can only imagine. <laughs> so how does it how does it work um, on the customer end on the client end? Um, like do they do they go in and like pick the girl as if they're getting a champagne room with her, or how does that work on on that end of things? Yeah, great question. Um, so. How it works is we, we, the actual show that we run, it works as if you would see like the main floor of the strip club where Mm -hmm. you have the stage and you have all these different entertainers coming in. Um, so each entertainer has a set Mm -hmm. and then we have, we like, you know, we have a roster and a lineup and like promote those, like those entertainers for that weekend. So we say these are the entertainers we have this weekend. So they can, so customers can go and see like who's going to be there, who's going to be there for the following weekend, all that stuff. Um, and then also, yeah, so it kind of runs like a main stage show. And then we also make note, like we send out the kind of the contact information for these entertainers, for entertainers that are also open to doing private shows, um, ahead of time. So we like find that out. Then we send that information out with the streaming information to our customers that bought tickets. So we do the show as if it's just kind of like a main stage show. And then at the end, we send out all that information again and we let them know to contact these entertainers if they would like to have like a private Zoom or Skype or what have you dance with or whatever, you know, show with these entertainers that they liked. Um, And then that is in the purview of the entertainers. So we don't really like book private rooms or anything like that. Um, we have that, them do that on their own so that they can have the most control over the situation and do like what they're comfortable with. We also like really just want it to be a comfortable, happy situation for the entertainer. You know, they're their own independent contractors. I mean, they're not independent contractors with us. We're a cooperative, so we don't like hire them, um, as a contractor, but like they are their own small businesses and they get to decide like what they're comfortable with and all that stuff. And then that way they get to, you know, state their own rates. We're not like enforcing a, an hourly rate or something on them, you know, cause everybody has different boundaries and different rates and all that stuff. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So it more so works as like a main stage show. Okay, cool. Um, outside of like Sesta and Fosta and, you know, um, all that, cause we're going to get into it. Um, what are some of the challenges you've dealt with while opening up this, um, virtual strip club? Cause I, God knows I'm sure there's challenges. <laughs> there's been a lot of challenges related to SESTA FOSTA and the way it's affected the internet world. But then the other challenges would also be, um, the fact of so many clubs popping up at the same time. And we also, we also have like, we have a proper business license and a trademark on our name and everything. So there's been a lot of clubs that are, using the same names or names very close to it that like we also have had to deal with, which in free market economy, I understand like that's, you know, that happens. That's what it is. Um, but also a lot of these clubs are run by people that are not sex workers. 
um, and maybe have not even ever worked in the industry even. And they're just trying like, to just profit off it. Yeah, just like random dudes, or like for example, like no, like I I honestly know very little about uh, Justin Combs's strip club, but um, I know he's not a stripper. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I wonder what it's like for the actual dancers. Like, how do they actually benefit, and how much are they actually benefiting? From yeah, it? and how know, much how much autonomy that. there is. <laughs> yeah, but I've also we've heard we've heard so many reports of other clubs kind of like like taking donations or having ticket sales or whatever um, and saying it's going to the dancers and not actually giving it to the dancers. Mm -hmm. So pretty much scammers. Um, And a lot of the time those people are using monikers of like a virtual strip club, the virtual strip club, so-and-so's virtual strip club. So then there's been quite a few dancers that have been like, well, are you related to them? Yeah. Um, Because if you are, I don't want to be involved. Mm -hmm. Because like, obviously who would want that? Um, so kind of like making it very clear that like we are a cooperative and that like everyone who's involved is a sex worker and we're working to kind of help out the sex work community. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, yeah, and just that I'm a sex worker and everybody who's like in an administration or a committee member is a sex worker and that we're trying to kind of create a situation that is a lot more equitable for sex workers and for the entertainers. Um, Cause we've all worked in strip clubs and we've all, ex- all experienced the discrimination and the exploitation that goes on through strip club owners and managers and all that stuff. Um, so kind of breaking that down that like, we are not like that because we've definitely had a lot of dancers be like, well, do you take a house fee? Do you like how, what percentage of this, that, and the other do you take and all that stuff. And kind of just like from the beginning, I was like, I would never want to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not for me. Um, yeah. So that, and then, you know, distancing ourselves from the exploitative shitty clubs that are out there, you know, um, run by who knows, you know, sometimes Men. it's just like <laughs> kind of internet personalities too. It's like not people that really have anything to do, ever had anything to do with like the strip club industry prior to all this. It's just people who are trying to capitalize on a trend, you know? Um, and then, yeah, just, uh, just the kind of the str- the other struggles other than that would just be like, would just be the, the struggles of being a startup and figuring things out to go. It's like, it reminds me of that, um, metaphor of like jumping out of a plane and like sewing your parachute as you're falling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cause it's like, we're just like thrown into the situation and trying to figure it out as we go. So trying to, you know, serve our customers and make sure that we're providing a show and, you know, a, a, we want to serve our customers and we want to provide a show that, is of quality and is worth the ticket price because our show is also more expensive than some of the other shows that are out there right now as well. Um, and then also just like creating like an equitable space for our dancers. Um, and then, you know, another thing is like we recently had our Instagram deleted that severely affected our ticket sales. So then, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm now experiencing this situation where, you know, I've always been a business person. I've always been in business for myself, but I've never had to carry the responsibility of running a business 
with other people involved. So now when our ticket sales are low, I'm the person that has to be like, I'm, you know, I, I like these entertainers performed and they promoted and they did all this stuff. And like our ticket sales is low, which means that their share is going to be lower than it would have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. So just all that stuff, just anything with like being a small business owner and just starting up. Um, and yeah, trying to like, you know, to distance yourself from competitors that I don't even know if I would call them competitors, but people in the same industry that are working nothing like the way that you work. Um, and also just trying to create a, a different kind of strip club, you know, like we don't discriminate, uh, you know, who gets involved with the cooperative, um, based on how they look or anything like that, like strip clubs do. Um, everybody's welcome. As long as you're a sex worker, you're welcome in the cooperative, um, and to perform and everything. And, uh, and yeah, just like trying to kind of, it's, it's a big job. We're not just creating like a place to advocate for sex workers or promote sex workers or create a, pl- a you know, a place where sex workers can, you know, perform and make some money. But we're also trying to kind of create a whole new way that the strip club works because previously the way that the strip club tends to work and in my personal opinion and the kind of general consensus of what I've seen is just like not in the favor of the entertainers. A hundred percent. We're, and we're totally going to get into that. Um, but <laughs> on a more positive note, what's been your favorite part of the startup? Oh man. <sighs> I think my favorite part has been just seeing all these performers and all these sex workers and my sex worker, my big wide sex worker family, you know, across the whole world, getting to see them do their thing and perform and create, you know, create art and create that create work that they're proud of and that they're happy about. Cause also we don't have the confines of a strip club where we have to abide by certain rules or certain standards or some, some idea of like what the performance is supposed to look like. So we've had a lot of really unique performances and, um, yeah, it's just really cool to see everybody be creative and, and create something that they're really proud of. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just like, so joyful. It's just like so joyful and empowering and just wonderful to see everyone perform. Like I love the shows, even if I'm not like, like I'm, I'm in some of the shows, but I'm always almost always running tech for the show. But if, even if I'm not running tech for the show, I still go back and like watch it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just love to see it. I just love sex workers and I love to see them like thrive, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> and I'm sure it's sure it's rewarding too to be able to provide a safe space for people to share their art and to share their work and, you know, their talents. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really, really nice. So that's super rewarding. Yeah. Speaking of talents, how do you source your entertainers? Oh, um, that's a great question. I'm I mean, full of them. Of them kind of, <laughs> yeah. Most people have kind of found us um, through word of mouth from other entertainers. Um, I reached out to several people in the beginning, probably maybe like 50 people in the beginning. And then some people joined up with us and then um, kind of told their friends and we started producing shows and the word just continued to spread. Um, so pretty much they found us and most of our promotion and most of our presence online has been 
primarily on Instagram. Now we're kind of transitioning over to build our following more on Twitter and OnlyFans because um, Instagram's uh, deactivated uh, four of our accounts now. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you mentioned um, – on your website that unlike, and I'm going to quote you, unlike your average strip club, we prioritize entertainers. Profit Profits are split evenly amongst entertainers and we reject the notoriously unethical business practices that plague the strip club industry, end quote. Can you explain what that means and what is the unethical business practice you're referring to? Yeah. Um, so kind of how I had said previously, um, our profits are split evenly amongst the entertainers that are involved in that show. So while we have over 50 entertainers in our cooperative in total, the entertainers um, essentially get their share from the shows that they're involved in. And then they also like, you know, we promote, they promote, we repost them, all that stuff. Um, so that's how the profit share works. And then um, the aspect of the, you know, net, like, not wanting to be involved with the unethical business practices of like typical strip clubs is kind of referring to the discriminatory hiring practices. We have entertainers of every race, ethnicity, size, shape, um, aesthetic identity. Um, none of that stuff matters to us. Well, I mean, in fact, I mean, it does matter because I personally, I would love for our strip club to be incredibly diverse. Mm -hmm. So, when people who maybe, you know, wouldn't normally be hired at a strip club because of one reason or another, when they want to join with us, like that really makes me happy because then I know that like our strip club is very diverse and it's welcoming of every people and, you know, representation matters and people of every type of identity can see themselves represented here mm -hmm. when, you know, historically those people have been, you know, shunned or just not hired or treated like shit, you know, in typical strip clubs. So that makes me really happy. And we really want to keep doing that. We want to continue having a diverse group of entertainers. And we also want to have a diverse set of acts for every show. Mm -hmm. um, and then other notoriously terrible business practices of strip clubs that we're referring to is the act of like having house fees and then um, taking a percentage of an, a a stripper's earnings, having these kind of mandatory or like strongly suggested tip outs. Um, and then also just like not advocating for this, for the sex workers, you know, like so many times I've, I, it's Sally, I cannot even tell you how many times I've seen a strip club patron treat a dancer shitty or assault her or them. Um, and just, you know, the, and see, and then see the strip club, not be on their side, not be on the dancer's mm -hmm, side. Mm -hmm. Um, when clearly that strip club patron was in the wrong yeah. for doing whatever it was they did. Um, and it's, I feel like it's the kind of spoken, but also unspoken standard that like, you cannot rely on the strip club to advocate for you. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you know, as a sex worker and, you know, people who maybe aren't in the sex work industry may not know this, but even in like super severe cases of sexual assault and stuff like that, you know, in order to kind of, for the strip club to like cover their ass or like not have liabilities, they kind of just 
victim blame. Oh, yeah. The, the, the customer the is always server. right to, like, a dangerous level. Yeah. So that type of shit. So anytime that we, we like, and, of course, like, we're not working in the presence of our patrons because we're all at home. But um, we have a, like, list of standards and rules for our patrons to abide by when they see a show or when they engage on our Instagram lives and stuff like that. And it's pretty much, like, don't record it. Be respectful. We have a chat. We do it on Zoom. So, like, there's a chat and we'll say, you know, anybody who's negative or shitty or abusive in the, in the chat will immediately get kicked out and will not be refunded. Um, that type of shit. And then if we um, do some sort of collaboration or a post for post or share for share with uh, a, an account or an individual that we later on uh, somebody, oh, this person's been known to be abusive or whatever, you know, we'll rectify it. You know, we'll like end that collaboration and also make a statement about how we don't advocate for the things that this person does, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And then, yeah, we just, we won't collaborate with people that have been known, even within the sex work industry, we won't collaborate with people that have been known to be um, engaging in the hierarchy. Which is very real. Yeah. Can you explain what the hierarchy is for people that may not be familiar with that term? Sure. I'll do my best. Um, (laughs) So there is a hierarchy within the sex work industry, uh, just like kind of in every area of the world. And there it's unfortunate that there's a lot of kind of discrimination from more privileged sex workers or sex workers who don't engage in full service sex work or sex workers who don't engage in like in-person sex work at all. Um, or sex workers who are kind of more in the like higher income bracket mm-hmm. against sex workers who are in lower income brackets or that are doing survival sex work or are doing full service sex work as kind of like an us and them thing to kind of seemingly to distance themselves from those sex workers because maybe they're not comfortable with full, full service sex work or whatever. So they kind of discriminate against those people who do do full service sex work or who do charge less than them Mm -hmm. um, or who do online sex work and kind of a very just like us and them doing um, engaging in like respectability politics, more or less. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was a very clear description. No, no, it is. It's um, I'm just going to add on to it. Um, something I refer to as like internal stigmatization is something you'll see a lot. Um, and it thrives in that like hierarchy mentality. And when you're hearing phrases like, you know, yeah, I'm a stripper, I'm not an escort or like, oh my God, I'm an escort. I'm not a prostitute. And anytime there's like a really adamant, like I never do that. Or like, I'm not like them. Of course, when you're like setting your boundaries, yes, it is like pertinent that you say I'm an escort I'm not a prostitute like so people know what to expect if they're purchasing your services but there's definitely this undertone you can hear in people's voices when they're like oh I, I don't do any in-person stuff I'm like I stay in my home I can make just as much money like that kind of the kind of phrasing like that um and for me that's one of the reasons why I 
refer to sex work or sex workers or the sex industry as this kind of umbrella term um, when I first address someone or I first um, am explaining who I am because I think unifying terms like that are important. And of course, you can go deal detail afterwards saying I'm a sex worker, primarily a stripper, primarily this. Um, but I think terms like that are so important because one, they you know um, attest to the fact that it is work sex work is work and it also is that it's a community of people um that specialize in different areas under sex work um but no i think your explanation is spot on this this hierarchy um yeah and i I love that you touched on you know the difference between people that do in person and not in person that sometimes that can be a very real real argument there too for people that are Yeah, and even, like, I think even to add on that, what you said as well, is, like, the, you know, if you really dissect the reasoning why this person is so adamant to say, I don't do this or I don't do that, it's one thing to state your boundaries and say, you know, that's important, that's essential as as a sex worker mm-hmm. is to state your boundaries, um, but to be so adamant and saying, I'm this, not that, mm-hmm. it's, you know, when you really break it down, it's because... It's really like, I'm this, not that, because that is disgusting, or mm-hmm. that is wrong, mm-hmm. or I'm better than people who do that, mm-hmm. you know? And I think um, and sometimes... I wasn't, really, I wasn't really aware of the whole, like, online sex workers, V, in-person sex workers scenario until I started doing online sex work, and I realized that, yeah, there's a lot of online sex workers that... Um, yeah, but they're, they, they kind of, some of, not a lot, I don't want to say a lot. There's some online sex workers that uh, have this hierarchy, hierarchical <laughs> um, attitude about in-person sex workers of them being like dirty and gross or yeah. lower class or whatever. Yeah, you even see it within the online community. Me and you were talking earlier about OnlyFans content, and you even see some people saying, like, well, like, I do OnlyFans, but, like, I don't show my pussy on my profile page. I only show my tits. I don't get naked at all. Like, um, you know, and honestly, I think part of it is when you are a marginalized group that deals with a lot of hate and stigma from outside, you feel like the only way to, like, save your own skin is to be like, okay, okay, like, I know you hate me, but, like, but you hate her more, right? Like, at least I'm not yeah. her, like, you know, and it's well, unfortunate. And, um, I think yeah. it is, um, the, using the proper terms and these, these communal, communal terms and this, and building communities and safe spaces like you are, that is going to help with that internal stigmatization and, um, and rid that like hierarchy. Um, will it ever go away? I mean, it's a lovely thought, <laughs> but you know, we make, we make steps to help it. Right. <laughs> So, no, I, I totally respect what you're doing. And, um, and yeah. So, you also, I creeped this, the shit out of your site, and <laughs> you also have a section on your site that provides information on, in quotes, the current adversity sex workers face IRL and URL, which I thought was really cute as in real life and on, I don't know what, <laughs> URL, like online. Yeah, um, online. <laughs> yeah, so just in a brief way, I know... Um, one of these is uh, SESTA and FOSTA. And especially for Canadian listeners, they not be, I know I go off on Bill C-36 and like RPCPA, like all that. Um, but um, a lot of people here specifically, or squares in general, are not going to know what SESTA and FOSTA means. So can you explain what that is and how it harms sex workers? 
Yeah, totally. Um, again, I'll do my best because I know it's like, I don't know the, you know, I'm sure there's, you know, don't, don't hate me if I like fuck something up. <laughs> Commenters. Um, <laughs> but uh, essentially what the bill SESTA and FOSTA did, they were enacted um, in the U.S. in April of 2019. Um, wait, 2019, 2018? See, don't, don't yell at me, guys. Um, <laughs> Recently. Recently, within the last couple of years. And um, yeah, actually, I want to say it's been two years. So I want to say it's 2018. I, I believe it I'm was 2018, but I I'm can also fucking be there. wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> so um, what essentially they did is they made it possible for the platforms that sex workers um, put their ads on, um, where essentially like sex work is sold. It made it possible for those platforms to be held liable for trafficking situations that happened via those platforms. So Backpage was one of the big, um, the big aspects of this on Backpage. Unfortunately, there was some like sex trafficking going on. Um, some people like selling children stuff like that, which is obviously horrendous and disgusting. And those people do need to be held liable. Um, the unfortunate impact of SESTA FOSTA is that it was kind of advertised as this anti-trafficking bill, but the way that it's been enforced has really just kind of been an anti-sex worker or an anti-sexual content bill. Because in order for all these platforms to kind of save their own asses, to kind of preemptively make sure that they don't do anything that would violate the 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 meat of what SESTA FOSTA is, they've censored sex workers like to an incredible degree. So for example, you know, if you show your butt in a thong on Instagram, you can have your Instagram deactivated. Um, even if you're a fully, you know, a, a fully autonomous adult sex worker or not a sex worker, maybe you're just somebody who's showing your butt in a thong on Instagram. Um, you can have your Instagram deactivated. Yeah, unless you're, yeah. A, you're a cis male. Then you can show exactly. your balls. Then you're totally fine. Your dick can be right yeah, out there. Exactly. <laughs> or if, if you're a company run by cis males, because if you go on the Playboy uh, official Instagram, you can see nipples. Yeah. So, you know, there's some... <laughs> there's some issues. There's some, there's some money in pockets going on. Yeah. Let's be real. This is politics, right? So... Anyways, but then it also cracked down on, it kind of essentially equated any type of sex work with trafficking. Um, Which really isn't a new concept. You even hear squares talk with us yeah. all the time, like, well, the trafficking and sex work. It's like, okay, so hold up. Sex work, trafficking, two different things. It's not considered sex work if someone is forced into it. Like, there's no autonomy uh -huh. in that. Yeah. So this isn't like a, a crazy new thought. It's just now that people that are uneducated or have another agenda um, are now implementing it. Yeah. So, so really the way that this bill has been enforced is to silence sex workers. Really, that's what it's done. Um, and it's even shut down sites that are resources for sex workers to do their job safely. Mm -hmm. So places where you can find out if someone has um, a bad history with sex workers, where you can kind of search their name or their phone number and find out 
if they've been abusive to sex workers in the past, you know, if you're an escort, maybe you're meeting people in person, you would need to know this. Um, it's shutting down places like that as well. Mm-hmm. So it's pushed sex workers even further underground, which has made their job even harder to do. And certainly in-person sex workers, it's made their jobs much more dangerous because they don't have the ability to kind of background check clients um, the way they would otherwise. Um, and then, yeah, like things like, you know, like our club, even though we're like completely online and we're not doing anything illegal at all, uh, we can't, you know, we've had multiple Instagram shut down. We can't use places like YouTube or Twitch to live stream our content, which honestly would probably be optimal for us because they have explicit um, statements against anything of sexual content. And that's just them kind of like preemptively trying to like make a, a broad stroke of like none of this so that we certainly don't ever have to like worry about uh, a child doing it or somebody being forced into doing it. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately in our society, both URL and IRL, um, sex work is often equated to be trafficking, which is just not the truth. Mm-hmm. No. So. And we have very similar laws here in Canada with our Bill C-36 that came out and then followed by the PCEPA. Um, you know, it was the uh, Protected Communities uh, and Exploited Persons Act. Um, and, you know, it was the same fucking thing. Like, with, we want to protect exploited people. We are protecting people who, like, willingly sell their sexual services. But it's a Nordic model, so in the sense where... Um, it's legal in Canada to sell sex. It's illegal to buy sex. So you're, you're going to, let's play this out. You know, I go to my, I go to a client and I'm, I'm allowed to sell my service, but they're not allowed to buy it. So they're not going to openly talk about this in public. So now to protect them, I have to not protect myself by being in a private place with them. And I can't screen, I can't set boundaries in a, in a safe open public place now um you know it's just another way that it's it's this facade of it being this like we're saving people and we're still getting living letting sex workers have autonomy but it's complete bullshit it's really exactly like you said an anti-sex working act and um and it's the same online uh just like you're saying you know women in the states can't screen clients online now because they've taken on those sites Women can't screen them in, in, in person anymore either before being alone with them and in a potentially dangerous situation. And, you know, it all yeah. comes back to, well, why would that be? It works in their favor. To make situations more dangerous, to take away our ability to screen, now they get more issues coming up from sex work and now they can go, well, look how dangerous sex work is. Just like we told yeah. you. When really, yeah. like I'm always saying, sex work is not inherently dangerous it's the way our laws and our society treat sex workers that make it so fucking dangerous, whether it be IRL or URL, um, which I'm totally going to steal that phrase because it's fucking adorable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's mine now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, I really just, my personal policy on the whole matter is just that like nothing about us without us, right? Like sex workers are not the people, are not being um, consulted mm-hmm. in creating the bills and writing these bills and they're based on very like puritanical moral values yeah these puritanical moral values of like sex is bad and to sell sex is especially bad or to sell anything sexual is especially bad um 
And that is the basis in which all these bills are written. They're very mm -hmm. conservative in this kind of very puritanical way. And it's, yeah, it's, it's fucked up. There's supposed to be a separation of church and state and there's not. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, and, he, and, and they're not consulting sex workers on this. Sex workers did not write these bills. Sex workers were not the people saying, we need you to do this so that it can make us safer. Mm -hmm. No. Which these were, sex workers were not consulted in this. And, you know, y'all need to stop trying to save sex workers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, if you... We'll tell you what we need. If yeah. you give us the opportunity and the tools and the empowerment, we will take care of ourselves. We're actually very good at it. Yeah. And we'll tell you what we need. And we have been telling you what we need. And we we're bring it into the fucking ether and it's not being listened to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, speaking of another shitty situation, uh, coronavirus is obviously undoubtedly negatively affected sex work. And your site is a perfect example of the impact it's had, um, you know, with uh, those things coming into fruition because there's a need for them. Um, can you explain how and why sex worker workers are so disproportionately affected by the coronavirus? Um, yeah, definitely. So in-person sex workers are so disproportionately affected by the coronavirus because our job literally is primarily engaging in very close proximity with our clientele or our customers or what have you. Um, in strip clubs, escorting, you know, street-based work, um, what have you. So when our when the when engaging with people in group spaces and communal spaces or being in close proximity with people is not possible, then that makes our jobs completely not possible. And then on top of that, when in the US, when these like economic stimulus bills were written. Anybody doing sexual-based work was explicitly excluded from them. Um, and the reasoning for that, I literally, I don't see a reasoning for that at all, um, other than completely puritanical, conservative Agenda. Like, politics of, mm -hmm. like, we fucking hate sex workers and we hate what you do and we don't want to help you out. Mm -hmm. um, it's so incredibly discriminatory and insidious Mm -hmm. And it, this isn't like people that are doing illegal work. Like they're, I mean, and, like I myself have done illegal work. So like, I'm, I'm certainly not discriminating against people who do illegal work, but these, it wasn't like, Oh, if you're doing illegal work, we're not going to help you out financially, which even that I would say is still immoral, but it's anybody that have done legal sex work and like paid their taxes. That's the only way that they would really know if you were doing sex work anyways, if you, if most of your income came from, you know, a strip club or from OnlyFans or something like that, and they were able to see it on your taxes. So you can be an American citizen and be working your ass off and paying your taxes and doing all the things you're supposed to do. And the government is still saying, fuck you, we're not going to help you out. Mm -hmm. And I think it's funny too, that's actually what I was going to touch on earlier was that um, even within sex work, they're so selective about who they hate the most. Like porn stars, not so much because it's a billion dollar business that really helps a lot of like certain people that produce and direct it and put money into it. Um, yeah. You know, which. Especially people producing it. Yeah, 100%, right? They definitely, so, 
they're fine with hating the porn stars, but they certainly love the the big wigs of the industry that are bringing in billions and billions of right. dollars. Right, and exactly that's exactly what I mean too. Like, not the porn stars themselves, but porn somehow is this like golden child of sex work. Um, and you have to ask yourself why. Um, is it because you know it's clearly so? It's clearly fine for sex workers to have sex for money because that's what porn is. But it's not okay when they're doing it on their own time, making their own money, and some person, let's say, is not getting a huge cut of it. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, I always find that very interesting. How we we hate sex workers and what they do. Well, unless we can get a pretty penny from it, and then it's kind of okay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's like I wonder if the you know business loans that the government, the U.S. government is make are making available to small businesses and larger businesses and all this stuff. I really wonder if they're making them available to strip owners. Mm-hmm. I feel like they probably are. Mm-hmm. So really, it just comes back to like I mean, and it's like the common denominator is the people that own, you know property and production companies and all these things, people that own strip clubs and production companies and all that within the sex work, you know, economy are like men, mm-hmm. primarily like white men. Yeah. That's definitely so, what I meant when I said someone. <laughs> like, there's no fucking secret, you know? And then it's like, you know, both in small, in smaller politics and bigger politics, like these people are benefiting you know, they're, they're donating to people's campaigns. They're, you know, they're engaging in the status quo in a way that people like. Mm-hmm. And the reason why, like, only, you know, girls on OnlyFans are, like, not being benefited is because they are essentially running their own little business on this platform. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and I want to say just girls, people, sex workers on OnlyFans and stuff like that. You know, um, it's just so fucked up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. It's wild. Um so with clubs being closed and social distancing laws in place, like we spoke on, um, a lot of sex workers are moving to online work. And this is something you address on your site. Um, you know, you quote the saying, the Instagram, Facebook, shadow bans, and the city is silencing of an already marginalized group. And you just, you touched on it earlier that you yourself got um, taken off social media. Um, I've had a shadow ban on my podcast now for a bit. Um, and I can only reason I know that is because my reach is lower than it used to be. Still have a good one, sponsors. Okay, don't worry. We're <laughs> 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 still seeing your ads, but um, yeah. So, do you want to share a little more about that? How like um, how shadow banning and Instagram, Facebook silence and already marginalized group, what that looks like, and and your what you think the reasoning is behind it? Yeah, sure. Um, so I feel like, you know, if you're within the sex work community, it's pretty common knowledge that, um, sex workers are regularly having their accounts shadow banned, um, and deactivated and stuff like that. Um, the thing with, if you're deactivated, it's very clear because one day you go to sign into your account and, or you, or you've just been signed out of your account, your Instagram account or Facebook or whatever. And then you can try to sign back in and it says, your account has been deactivated because of violating community guidelines with no further description of what exactly it was that you supposedly violated. Um, And I've even seen this happen to sex workers that were not violating community guidelines. Um, So like, how are these things being determined? Because, you know, places like Instagram and Facebook, which is kind of like notoriously where it happens the most, um, 
and they're part of the same like conglomerate, right? Um, so they have very clear community guidelines of like you can't see female areolas, right? Male areolas are okay though. Mm-hmm. Cool, great, love that. Um, you can't see uh, like a bare butt and a thong. Now they don't specifically say uh, female butt, but I certainly have not seen any male accounts deactivated for showing their ass. So cis, mostly cis male too. Um, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know Um, if you also noticed too. um, I I obviously am not shy to report uh, misogynistic men. I, my, um, podcast page obviously brings them out of the woodworks and I'm adamant that my podcast page stay a safe space for sex workers. So that's why I keep my like male, like cis male, um, following to like 10% and under because like, I just like don't have the energy for it. Um, shenanigans in the comments. Yeah. Man. So they get, they get, if y'all could just act right. We wouldn't be shunning you from these spaces. Yeah. You can't be, yeah. Exactly. Like you can't handle, you can't handle that freedom. Um, so put a little leash on them. They get walked out, um, <laughs> blocked, deleted. But lately when I've been reporting uh, mail accounts, um, you, it comes up with this little thing being like, we're super busy and we're prioritizing blah, blah, blah. So we won't be able to get to this account. Funny how they didn't waste any time mm-hmm. deleting your account real quick and, mm-hmm. and deleting so many of my photos on my sex work, um, Instagram that I'm like, it's cleavage showing. It's not even like nothing. Um, they, so prioritizing is looking a little misogynistic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, incredibly misogynistic, and they're literally, I mean, they're quite literally targeting femme, female-bodied people Mm -hmm. who are using their bodies and using their content that they choose to create, and, you know, people that choose to sexualize themselves and sell that content and make money off it, especially, Mm -hmm. um, or build the following off it, or what have you, um, those people are being targeted. So mm-hmm. I don't even think we can say like, you know, it's, I mean, it's, of course, you know, there's, there's no, they're not explicitly saying that because if they explicitly said that we can be like, this is incredibly discriminatory. And this is yeah. at least this is fucking illegal in the U S at least. Yeah. Um, but they'll never fucking say that. No. So, but they're just going to continue doing what they're doing. So it's like the less information they give you, the better. Um, so yeah, for people who are unaware, you know, of how that works, that is how it works. And it's pretty common knowledge in the sex work community um, online. And then shadow bans are, they don't even, I don't even know that Instagram's ever like publicly rec- like acknowledged that they do have shadow bans, mm-hmm. but it very much is a thing. And essentially what it is, is like when the essentially if you have like a unique hashtag to your account or if like if your account name like if you if a person who doesn't follow you searches for it it doesn't come up Mm -hmm. and then your reach your reach to who you know sees your content is severely limited Mm -hmm. um and this is determined by the exact same things that we were just talking about you know um and there's been different you know different theories and different ideas like you know floating around the internet about how to avoid a shadow ban, how to, um, get a shadow ban, like take it off and whatever, but, um, have a penis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be, yeah. Cause it's like, okay. One of our, one of our competitors 
who is incredibly, I, I don't want to call them a competitor because I feel like that's, that's like equating us to be the same thing, mm-hmm. but there, you know, there's accounts that essentially are using our name, are doing the same thing as us, um, run by men that are still functioning and they're, they have more explicit content on those accounts than we ever did. Mm-hmm. So, so what we got to have, we have to have a male figurehead in our account to not get deleted. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. You know, it's just, it's so fucked up and it's just like, makes me so mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, last two questions before I let you run away. What is your goal with the virtual strip club and your other ventures? Yeah. Um, great question. So for now, we're just going to continue to grow and to continue to be a safe space for sex workers and an equitable space for our entertainers. Um, in the, in the long game and kind of the larger scheme of things, like we would love if we could be a part of reshaping what the strip club industry is, you know, both in regards to, how we reject the discriminatory hiring and business practices of strip clubs, you know, essentially raising the standards so that other strip clubs have to do the same, both IRL and URL, right? Um, That would be amazing if we can do that. Um, If we could become, you know, influential enough and important enough in the industry where we could actually have sway of like creating more equitable space for entertainers and for sex workers in general, both online and offline, that would be amazing. Um, those kind of goals, you know, big, like kind of social justice type goals. Um, and then, yeah, just continue to grow and be able to create a space where entertainers can come and perform online. And I mean, I would love if we can do some like offline events once that's like a thing that's possible. And that's something I'm going to actively, we are going to actively pursue once, you know, in-person events are able to be done again. Um, we'd love to have like, you know, IRA or, yeah, IRL events um, all over the U.S. And, and the world in general. Like, that would be awesome. Um, yeah, so just continue to, to do what we're doing, which is creating equity for the entertainers. And, um, and yeah, we would love to do our part to change the industry and just create a higher standard, you know, so that, like, these discriminatory hiring practices and these you know, uh, exploitative business practices that strip clubs tend to engage in are no longer tolerated or possible, you know, that essentially if, a co- you know, it should be the just, the just thing would be if those companies are engaging with their entertainers in that way, that those companies would no longer have entertainers that are willing to work for them and that they essentially would fail as a business, mm-hmm. you know, and so then that creates space where they need to step up and start treating entertainers with the respect and the equity and the, you know, just humanely, um, mm-hmm. where if they want to succeed as a business, cause that's really in the end, the, you know, in our capitalist society, the bottom line is what determines how things go. So we need to affect their bottom line. We need to like raise the standard. Mm-hmm. So that's what we need to do. I'm here for it. Um, last question. How can people get involved with what you're doing? Yeah, great. Um, so they can, our website is thevirtualstripclub.org. Um, if you're, uh, if you would like to see a show, oh, we sell tickets on our shop on our website. 
Um, we have shows every other weekend, and then we do a little interview on our social media accounts uh, every opposite weekend that we're not doing a show. And then if you're an entertainer and you would like to get involved with the cooperative and you'd like to, you know, be a stripper in some of our shows, you can also go on our website and fill out our new entertainer sign up. And then we go through it um, and, you know, contact you and then roster you for the shows that you said you've made yourself available for. And uh, yeah, and then you can follow us on our on Twitter, on Instagram. Our Instagram keeps getting deleted, so I feel like you know right now it's TVS Club. Uh, that's our Instagram tag, but who knows how long that'll be a thing? <laughs> to be determined. Um, yep. And then on Twitter, we are the Virtual Strip, and our backup is Virtual underscore Strip. And then on OnlyFans, we are our tag is the Virtual Strip Club. Awesome. And if people want to find you, where can they find you at? Yeah. So I'm Gemma May on Instagram. I am Gemma May official. That's my tag on OnlyFans. I'm Gemma May official on Twitter. I'm Gemma May official um, or no, sorry. On Twitter, I'm Gemma May tweets. <laughs> um, Cause you have to have shorter tags on there. It's been such a struggle. Um, <laughs> I'm very all about branding and having everything like the same. Uniform. It's just like that. Twitter, come on. <laughs> but yeah, so I'm primarily active on Instagram, but I'm working on building up all those things. So yeah. Awesome. And as always, you can find me at Instagram at five zero plus a tip or email me at five zero plus a tip at gmail.com. And feel free to show your love and support by subscribing to my OnlyFans at OnlyFans.com slash Danica underscore darling. That's Danica with a C. And make sure to check out our amazing sponsors, Temptations Avenue Lingerie, which is a Canadian-owned lingerie brand with a variety of styles ranging from sexy and wild to demure and sweet. Check them out on Instagram at Temptations Avenue and use our discount code TIP25 to get 25% off your entire order. Also use code truly plus a tip for 10% off your first online order of skincare products at truly lifestyle brand. Thank you so much for joining me, Gemma. Thank you. Have a wonderful week and happy hoeing. Bye. Bye.